We present the English translation of the book Government Angrazi or Jihad, English Government and Jihad, by Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, peace be upon him, promised Messiah and Mahdi. British Government and Jihad The concept of Jihad and its real sense is such a complex and delicate matter that lack of its understanding has led the people of today and Middle Ages to serious mistakes. We have to confess that these serious mistakes have provided the opponents of Islam with an opportunity to malign this pure and holy faith, a faith which is a manifestation of the laws of nature and reveals the majesty of the living God. It should be understood that the root word for jihad is juhud, which means to strive. It has also been used in a metaphorical sense for religious battles. Among Hindus, the word for battle is yud. It seems that it is also derived from the word jihad. Arabic is root of all tongues and each language flows from it. The word yud in Sanskrit language, meaning battle, comes from the word jihad or jihud. It is spoken with replacing a letter and adding punctuation. Now I wish to address the question, what is jihad and why Islam needed jihad? So it should be clear that Islam faced serious perils right from its birth. All nations turned against it. Whenever an apostle or messenger of God appears and his followers seem righteous, determined, and progressive, it is common to see jealousy and envy among others. Particularly, the elders and scholars of religions excel in this. With the advent of this man of God, their honors and incomes suffer. Their followers and admirers leave them. This is because they find the excellence of faith, morals, and knowledge in the person raised by God. Therefore, the wise and astute realize that the honor that was bestowed upon the religious leaders for their knowledge and righteousness no longer belongs to them. Their lofty titles, such as Najmul Umat, or Star of the Believers, and Shamsul Umat, or Son of the Believers, and Shaykhul Masayikh, Leader of the Honorable, are no longer fit for them. They turn away from them as they do not want to lose their faith. Because of these setbacks, the group of patriarchs and doctors of religion has always been jealous of the apostles of God and his messengers. With the advent of prophets, these people are exposed as they are flawed and have very little in the way of divine light. Their enmity of the prophets is based upon selfish desires and they hatch devious plans. Sometimes they realize in their hearts that they are inviting the wrath of God by offending his pious messenger. Their constant negative actions expose the guilt in their hearts. But the great might of burning jealousy continues to pull them toward the ditch of enmity. This is why the religious leaders of Christians, Jews, and pagans in the time of the holy prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, were unable to accept the truth and rose against him. They became busy trying to eliminate Islam from the world. In the beginning, Muslims were few in number. Their opponents, in their arrogance, which is natural to such people as they consider themselves superior in wealth, honor, and numbers, dealt with the companions of the Holy Prophet with great cruelty. They did not wish for this heavenly plant to take root on this earth. They were trying hard to eliminate these righteous people and did not spare any effort to hurt them. They were scared. Should this new faith get established, it would cause destruction of their faith and following. With this fear that terrified their hearts, 
they committed dreadful and brutal deeds and killed many Muslims mercilessly. This continued for an extended period that stretched over 13 years. Faithful men of God were viciously cut to pieces with swords. Helpless women and orphan children were slaughtered in streets. Still the teaching from God was not to resist evil. This is exactly what these righteous people did. Streets turned red with their blood, but they did not utter even a sigh. They were slain, but did not complain. The holy apostle of God, whose praise is sung by the heavens and the earth, was often hit and wounded by stones hurled at him. But that mountain of forbearance and steadfastness weathered these storms with compassion and love in his heart. For this patience and tolerance, the mischief continued to rise. These holy people were considered easy prey. God, who does not want transgression and cruelty, then turned towards his aggrieved people. His anger was sparked. He communicated to his people through his holy word in the Holy Quran and said that he was watching it all. On this day, I permit you to defend yourselves, he said. I am all-powerful God. I shall punish the transgressor. This was the permission, which in other words was called jihad. The exact words of this permission, which is preserved in the Holy Quran, are as follows. God has heard the wailing of those who were wronged by killing and displacement. They are permitted to defend themselves. God is all-powerful to help the persecuted. This permission was for a certain time and not forever. It was for a period when those who accepted Islam were slaughtered like sheep. Regretfully, after the period of the Holy Prophet and his successors, the concept of jihad, which is based on the above-quoted verse, was seriously misinterpreted. Unjust killing of the creation of God was considered a part of faith. It is an ironic observation that Christians erred in the matters of their obligation to the Creator and the Muslims in the matters of the creation. In the Christian religion, a humble man was elevated to divinity and the domain of the Almighty God was trampled upon, who is unique in the heavens and the earth. And the Muslims offended mankind with their sword and named it jihad. Christians adopted one method of transgression and the Muslims the other. It is a misfortune that both these factions consider their transgression desirable. Each among them is stressing on their form of transgression and thinks that it will lead them straight to paradise. And nothing else can lead them to it. Even though the transgression against God is the greatest sin, I do not wish to address this subject here. I wish to raise awareness about the transgression that Muslims are committing against the mankind. Let it be known that the concept of jihad, as understood by today's Islamic scholars who are called Malvi, and the way they are presenting it before the public, is not correct. The result of it is nothing less than that they transform the public into a vicious animal and strip them of high moral values. This is exactly what has happened. I believe that all the blood that is spilled at the hands of these ignorant people, who are unaware of the reasons of early Islamic battles, lies at the hands of those scholars who covertly preach such concepts, the result of which is tragic bloodshedding. Before the rulers, they bend so low as if they would prostrate. 
But among their peers, they insist that this country is house of war, Darul Harb. In their hearts, they believe that jihad is essential. Only few disagree. They are so insistent on their concept of jihad, which is against the teachings of the Holy Quran and their traditions of the Holy Prophet, Hadith, that anyone who disagrees, they declare him Antichrist, or Dajjal, and worth killing. I am also under such an edict for quite some time. Some Malvis of this country declared me Antichrist and an infidel. They did not care for the law of the British government and disseminated a written edict declaring that I should be killed. Plundering my possessions and abducting my women is an act of great virtue. What was the reason behind it? Only my being the promised Messiah and preaching against their concept of Jihad and their bloodthirsty Messiah and Mahdi upon whose advent they had great hopes of loot and plunder. This became the reason for their enmity. But they should know that the concept of Jihad as believed by them is not correct. The first result of it is to destroy human compassion. The argument that Jihad was permitted in earlier days why would it be abandoned now is not correct. I have two answers to this question. First, this thinking is not proper. Our Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, never raised sword against anyone except against those who used it first. They killed innocent men, women and children without mercy. They murdered with such brutality that to this day tears flow while recounting those events. Second, even if the concept of jihad was the same as the Malavis think, it no longer applies in this day and age. It is written that at the time of advent of the promised Messiah, battles of sword and religious wars would end. Because the Messiah would not use sword or any earthly weapons, as his weapon would be his supplications, his steadfastness would be his sword. He would lay the foundations of reconciliation and bring together the wild and the humble. His would be the age of coming together, kindness and compassion. Alas, why would they not consider that 1300 years ago the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, used the axiom Yazaul Harp for the promised Messiah. This means that with the advent of the promised Messiah, the battles would end. And the following verse of the Holy Quran also points toward it. <laughs> Ponder over Sahih Bukhari, Book of the Traditions of the Holy Prophet, Peace and Blessings of Allah be upon him, which is considered the most accurate book after the Holy Quran. Read it carefully. O scholars of Islam and Malavis, pay attention. Verily I tell the truth. This is not the time for jihad. Don't disobey the Holy Messenger of God. The promised Messiah has already come. He has issued forth his edict. Abandon the religious wars that are fought with weapons of blood spilling. Not giving up this carnage and preaching such concepts is not the way of Islam. The one who accepts me would not just stop preaching such concepts, but would consider them evil and worthy of God's wrath. Regretfully at this point, I have to note that at one end, the ignorant Malvis concealed the true concept of jihad and prepared ordinary men for plunder and killing, and named it Jihad. On the other end, the clerics of the church did something similar. They produced thousands of publications, journals, and flyers in Urdu, Pashto, and other languages, claiming that Islam was spread by sword and distributed them in India, Punjab, and frontier regions. 
As a result of this dual testimony of Malvis and clerics of the church, common man progressed in his barbaric instincts. In my view, it is essential that our beneficent government should prohibit the clerics from this lie, the result of which is agitation and rebellion in the country. With these lies of the clerics, it is not possible that people will abandon the religion of Islam. But as a result of these sermons, people will always be reminded of this concept of jihad and come out of their tranquility. With the advent of the promised Messiah, it is incumbent upon every Muslim to give up jihad. If I had not come, there could have been some excuse for this misconception. But with my advent, you have become witnesses of the appointed hour. Now you have no excuse for using swords for religious battles before God. One who seeks and studies the traditions of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and the Holy Quran, can clearly understand that the method of jihad adopted by the ignorant and violent masses of this day is not the jihad of Islam. These are merely bad desires of their reproaching self or wishes for paradise that have spread among the Muslims. I have just mentioned that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was never the first to pick the sword. Indeed, for a long time he suffered at the hands of the non-believers and showed such patience that was not possible for common man. Similarly, his companions also upheld this lofty principle. As they were commanded to bear the atrocities and show patience, they demonstrated it. They were trampled upon, but did not complain. Their children were cut to pieces before their very eyes. They were persecuted with fire and water, but did not resist evil, as if they were an innocent baby. Can anyone bring forth an example from the followers of an apostle where they did not retaliate, even when they could do so, because of a divine command? Can anyone show a group of people that was able to resist and had the numbers and means for it and still restrained themselves for thirteen years in the face of a merciless and bloodthirsty enemy? The restraint of the Holy Prophet and his companions was not a result of weakness. In fact, in that period of restraint, his companions were the same men who were with him after the permission of jihad. Sometimes a thousand men defeated an army of a hundred thousand soldiers. This was to show to the world that their patience in Mecca was not for any weakness or frailty. They suffered bloodshed and persecution, and laid down their arms before God's command, and presented themselves for slaughter like sheep. Indeed, this supreme patience is beyond human capacity. We can examine the history of human race and the prophets. Nowhere shall we find such high values among the followers of any prophet. When we hear legends of such patience in previous times, immediately the evidence points towards the lack of means or valor. But the fact that a group of brave warriors is persecuted, and their children are killed, and they were attacked with spears, and yet they don't resist it, this is the bravery that transpired for thirteen years among the companions and the Holy Prophet. This restraint in the face of dangerous tribulations, which continued for thirteen years, is unmatched. If one has any doubts, he should bring forth one such example from among the previous believers. It is worth remembering that at the time of severe persecution of the companions, our Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, did not suggest any scheme to avoid it. He repeatedly asked for patience. If anyone suggested resistance, he was stopped. I have been commanded to be patient, he said. Until the permission for defense was granted, Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, always preached forbearance and tolerance. Now you can try to find such patience. 
among the people from the beginning to this day. If it is possible, try to find a similar example among the followers of Moses or disciples of Jesus. In short, Muslims possess the best examples of patience, high morals, and abandoning the evil. It is extreme ignorance and misfortune that these values have been abandoned. Ignorant Malvis, may Allah guide them, have deceived the public in many ways. This particular course of action has been declared heavenly. This is a clear transgression. It is cruel and against the human conscience. A person is walking down the street, minding his own business, and we don't even know him or his name, nor he knows us, and yet we shoot him in order to kill him. Could this be an act of virtue? Is this righteousness? If this is virtue, then beasts are better than men. All praise to Allah. Verily, they were righteous and filled with the spirit of apostles. God commanded them not to resist evil in Mecca, even if they were torn to pieces. With this command, they became like harmless children, docile and gentle as if their hands had no strength and their limbs lifeless. Some of them were murdered in horrible ways. Their legs were tied to two camels, and the camels were run in opposite directions. They were shredded like a vegetable. Sadly, Muslims in general, and Malfis in particular, have ignored these events. They behave as if the whole world is their prey, as a hunter seeks his prey in the jungle and follows it carefully and then shoots. This is the example of most Malfis. They have not read the lesson of human compassion. For them, to shoot an unsuspecting victim is Islam. Where are those among them who would show patience when persecuted, like the companions? Are we commanded by God to attack others without cause or proof, when we don't even know them and cut them to pieces or shoot them dead? Could such a faith be from God that teaches murder of innocent human beings? Would this get you to paradise? A person whom we don't know nor we have any personal dispute with him. He is buying necessities for his children in the market or doing some other everyday work, and we shoot at him. In a moment we have made his wife a widow and his children orphans and his home a place of wailing. Which verse of the Holy Quran commands this, and which traditions of the Holy Prophet teaches this? Is there a Malvi who has an answer to this question? The ignorant have no concept of jihad. They use it for their dark desires or spill blood because of their fanaticism. I have just mentioned that in the time of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. When Islam employed sword with permission from God, it was when many Muslims had already been killed by the non-believers. Then God willed that those who kill by sword should be put down by sword. God is forgiving, merciful, wise, and tolerant, but he is God of the righteous too. It surprises me that when no one is killing Muslims for reason of their faith, then on what authority they kill innocent people. Why their Malvis don't stop them from these awful actions that bring a bad name for Islam? Under the English government, Muslims are in abundant peace. There are many who are still alive, who lived under the Sikh rule. Now they can describe the circumstances of Muslims and their faith at that time. The loud call for prayer, Azan, which is an important tenet of Islam, was considered a crime. No one could call out Azan and then survive the spears and hatchets of the Sikhs. Is it something bad that God delivered the Muslims from the transgressions of the Sikhs and brought them under the peaceful rule of the English government? With this new government, it is as if the Muslims of Punjab have rediscovered their faith. Since kindness should be rewarded with kindness, we should not discard this blessing of God that was bestowed upon us in place of the Sikh rule after so much wailing and praying. 
To my followers who believe in my ministry, I command them to refrain from these filthy deeds forever. God has sent me in the tradition of the Messiah, son of Mary, and made me the promised Messiah. I therefore pronounce, stay away from evil and have compassion for the mankind. Cleanse your hearts of malice and spite and you will be like angels. How evil and unholy is the faith that does not have compassion for the mankind. How evil is the path that is packed with thorns of selfish desires. You who are with me would not be like that. Think about it. What is the purpose of religion? Is it just tormenting the others? No, religion is a path that leads to godlike existence. No one has ever done that, nor could one do it in the future, unless one follows the attributes of God. For the sake of God, have compassion for everyone, so you should be shown mercy in heavens. Follow me, and I will show you the path by which your faith will prevail over all others. Abandon malice, spite, and jealousy. Have compassion for mankind and attach yourself to God. Cleanse yourselves. This is how miracles will flow from you. Your prayers would be accepted and angels will descend from heavens for your help. This is not a day's task. Make progress and march ahead. Learn from the laundry man. He first washes the clothes in hot water and continues to do so until the dirt and filth separates from them under the effect of heat. Then he gets up in the morning, goes to the water and wets the load. He then beats them on the stone sills. The dirt that had become part of the clothes starts to separate from them under the effect of heat and beating in the water until the clothes become clean again, as they were in the beginning. This is the method of cleansing the human soul. Your salvation depends on such cleansing. This is exactly what God has said in the Holy Quran. <laughs> That soul was saved which was cleansed of all dirt and filth. I have come to you with a commandment. Now is the end of jihad with sword. But the jihad of cleansing your souls is still there. This is not something that I have made up. This is the will of God. Remind yourselves of the tradition of the holy prophet Hadith, mentioned in the book Sahih Bukhari, where it is written in the context of the promised Messiah Yazaul Harb, the promised Messiah would put an end to religious wars. So I command those who are among my followers to turn away from such concepts. Cleanse your hearts and excel in compassion and show mercy to the weak. Spread peace on the earth and their faith would prosper. Don't be surprised as to how this would come to pass. God has made use of all the elements in the earth without any apparent means in the modern inventions for the physical needs. He has made trains run much faster than the horses. Similarly, for spiritual needs, he would make use of angels in the heavens without the touch of humans. Mighty heavenly signs would appear, and light would shine, and many eyes would be opened. Then, eventually, people would understand that the gods other than the god that were artificially created were all mistakes. So keep watch with patience. God is more jealous of his oneness than you are. Indulge in prayers, lest you should be counted among the defiant. Hear ye who seek the truth. These are the promised days. God will not drag it too long. It is a common observation that if a light is placed on a tall column, it reaches far and wide. When there is lightning in one part of the sky, the other parts of it also illuminate. This would happen now, as God has provided means for the fulfillment of his prophecy 
that the message of the Messiah would spread in the earth like lightning. It would spread to all corners of the earth like a light on a tall column. Railways, postal services, digital communications, and easy means of traveling and tourism have been well established. This has all been done to fulfill the prophecy that the message of the Messiah would enlighten every corner in a flash. And the column of the Messiah that is mentioned in the traditions, its true nature is that invitation of the Messiah and his message would spread on this earth very quickly as light from a column or cry reaches far. Therefore, railways, postal services, digital communications, ease of traveling and ease of preaching are a prime sign of the days of the Messiah mentioned by many prophets. The Holy Quran also says, meaning that in the age of open invitation, which is the time of the Messiah, the camels will be rendered useless. In the footnote it reads, I have written repeatedly that the promised Messiah is not an Israelite prophet. He has come only in that spirit. Our holy prophet in the Torah has been called the reflection of Moses. It was therefore necessary to have a Messiah at the end in the followers of Muhammad, just like in the followers of Moses. Is it not a fact that in this age the earth has opened up thousands of new properties and principles have been revealed? Why should the heavens remain shut? It was foretold by the past prophets that even children and women will receive revelation, and this would be the time of the promised Messiah. End footnote. Some new mode of traveling will be found and camels would not be needed. In Hadith, Traditions of the Holy Prophet, Peace and Blessings of Allah be upon him, it is said, Camels will be rendered useless in that age. This is not mentioned in the context of any other messenger. Therefore give thanks. There are preparations in the heavens for spreading the message. Blessings are also bubbling in the earth. You are witnessing an ease in traveling and movement that has never been witnessed before. It is as if it is a new world. Fruits are available even out of season. Travels that took months can be completed in days. News from thousands of miles can be transmitted in a moment. There are gadgets and machines to help in every task. If you wish, you can travel in train as you are in the room of your home. Is this not a revolution on this earth? There is an astounding upheaval on earth. God wills an astounding upheaval in the heavens too. These are both signs of the days of the Messiah. In one of my revelations mentioned in the book, Barahine Aquandia, some 20 years ago, this has been alluded to. It is, Meaning, heavens and the earth are tied up like a bundle, and their elements were hidden. In the days of the Messiah, we have untied both these bundles and revealed their secrets. Finally, it should be noted that I have mentioned in detail in this writing that the prevalent tradition among the Muslims of attacking the people of other religions, which they call jihad, is not the jihad of Islamic jurisprudence. It is against the clear instructions from God and his messenger and is a grievous sin. Since this habit is well established in some Muslim tribes, it may not be easy for them to abandon it. It is quite possible that they may go after the blood of the person who counsels them. In their gallantry and emotion, they may try to kill him. I can think of one way in my mind. It is that the Amir of Kabul, whose authority among the Afghan tribes is unsurpassed, 
and has never been witnessed before, should gather the great scholars of religion and convene a debate. Through these religious scholars, public would be educated about their errors. Some journals should be published by these scholars in Pashto language and widely distributed. I believe that this sort of activity will have great influence on the people. Gradually, the raw emotions encouraged by ignorant mullahs will subside. It will be a great tragedy for the people if the Amir Sahib would not pay attention to this necessary reform. The end result of such oversight is trouble for the government that ignores the edicts of these mullahs. It is common among the mullahs of today that they would declare a person infidel even on minor religious differences. Then all the other edicts that apply to non-believers are also applied to him. In such circumstances, even Amir would not be an exception. It is quite possible that on some minor difference, these mullahs throw him out of the circle of Islam. And then they would write the same edicts of jihad against him that they used to write for others. No doubt, the people who have the power to declare a person believer or non-believer, and then write the edicts of jihad against him, is a dangerous bunch, and Amir should not be negligent of them. No doubt, these people are at the head of rebellion against every government. Ordinary people are in their clutches. They control their minds and turn them in any direction and create havoc. Therefore, it is not undesirable to free the people from their influence and educate them about the real nature of the concept of jihad. Islam does not teach Muslims to be like thieves and robbers and satisfy their selfish desires under the guise of jihad. Since the religion of Islam, jihad cannot occur without the permission of the sovereign and people know this. It is possible that some who don't know the facts may blame the emir for such happenings. It is therefore incumbent upon the emir to make an effort to counter this erroneous edict. This would not just clear his name, but he would be amply rewarded by God. From among the rights of the people there is nothing more virtuous than to deliver them from the threat of the sword. Since most of those who use violence in such manners are Afghan and a sizable majority lives in the country of Amir Sahib, Therefore, Amir Sahib has an opportunity from God to leave behind this great reform as part of his legacy. To the best of his ability, he should try to cleanse the Afghan nation of these violent habits that are cause of defamation of Islam. This is the time of the promised Messiah. Certainly, God will create means for the world which is filled with persecution, injustice, and bloodshed to be filled with justice, peace, and friendship. Blessed are those sovereigns and kings who partake from it. Towards the end, I wish to make a special request to our kind government. Even as I am aware that our government is wise and astute, it is incumbent upon us to present forth any suggestions in our minds that may be useful for the public and the government. In my view, it is a matter of certainty that this violent habit of Afghans in the frontier areas, due to which some innocent is killed almost daily, has two causes. First, those Malvis who believe that killing people of other religions, especially Christians, is an act of great virtue, this would open the doors of great rewards of paradise that cannot be achieved either with Salat, Hajj, Zakat, or any other good deeds. I am well aware of the fact that these people preach this to the public in secret. By listening to such sermons, some who are little better than beasts take great inspiration. They become like animals and are left with not an iota of mercy. They commit such horrendous acts that one's spine shudders. 
Even as the frontier lands and Afghan country is brimming with such Malvis who deliver these sermons, I believe that Punjab and India are not free from them. If government believes that the Malvis of this country are free from such ideas, it should look again. In my view, most of the ignorant, angry mullahs living in the mosques are not free from such filthy ideas. If these ideas were the result of the holy word of God, I would have considered them blameless, as one is powerless in the matters of faith. Verily I tell you, as they ignore the benevolence of this government and are its clandestine enemies, they are also convicted before God and are rebellious. I have explained in detail that the word of God does not command us to spill the blood of innocent people. One who believes in such is removed from Islam. Second cause for this criminal bloodshedding which is done to become a hero, in my view, is those Christian priests who have repeatedly stressed that jihad is a compulsion in Islam, and that killing the people of other faiths is a matter of great virtue in Islam. I believe that the people of frontier areas were not even aware of the doctrine of jihad. It is Christian priests who reminded them of this. My view is supported by the fact that until Christian priests distributed such journals, newspapers, and books, these incidents were negligible or almost non-existent. In fact, when the Sikh government was replaced with the Englishmen, ordinary Muslims were joyous with this change. People of the frontier regions were also pleased. Then Pastor Findal wrote his book, Mizan ul Haq, in 1849, and published it in India, Punjab, and frontier regions. He not only insulted Islam and the Prophet of Islam with his derogatory remarks, but also spread the word that in the religion of Islam, it is not only permitted but worthy of great divine reward to kill people of other faiths. On hearing this, the ignorant living in the frontier regions that had no knowledge of their faith woke up. They understood that in their faith it was meritorious to kill people of other faiths. After much thought, I believe, the cause of most incidents in the frontier regions and violent enmity among the people living there were those books written by the priests and pastors in which they used violent language and repeatedly discussed jihad beyond all reason. At last, after the popularity of Misan ul Haq and its poisonous consequences, our government had to issue Act Number 23 of 1867 to check the spread of such violent ideas. This law was passed for the six tribes in the frontier areas and it was hoped that it would help to stop these violent incidents. Unfortunately, later on, filthy and bitter writings of Pastor Imaduddin Amritsari and some other foul-mouthed pastors damaged the cause of friendship and love within the country. Similarly, the books of many other priests and pastors, detail of which is not necessary, have not been behind in sowing the seeds of enmity in our hearts. In short, these people became a serious obstacle in the wisdom of the government. Our government acted commendably, when it did not prohibit Muslims from writing the replies to these books. In these replies to bitterness, the Muslims also showed some bitterness, but this only proved the open-minded nature of the government. Because of these derogatory writings, the expected riots were avoided as a result of even-handedness and sincerity of the government. As we acknowledge with great sadness that mullahs of Islam followed the wrong concept of jihad and preached it to the tribes of frontier, so they would spill the blood of honorable officers of friendly government and unjustly hurt it. We are also disappointed with mullahs of Europe, that is, pastors and priests. With their unjust, bitter, and false writings, they agitated the ignorant. By repeatedly bringing up the issue of jihad, 
they impressed upon the ignorant Muslims that in their faith it is an easy way to paradise. If they were not conspiring in their hearts, they should have compared the jihad of Moses and Joshua with the jihad of our holy prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. They should have known and kept quiet. Even if we assume that the most important factor in investigating the public are Islamic Malavis, fairness demands us to acknowledge that at least some part of this instigation were the writings of the priests that offended the Muslims. It is sad that some commit an act and then go away but create problems for the English government. In my view, better course of action to resolve these issues is the example of the government of Rome. As a test, all factions should be prohibited from directly or indirectly mentioning the faith of others in their writings and speeches for a few years. They are permitted to recount the virtues of their own religion. This would obviate the cultivation of new plants of hatred. Ancient tales will be forgotten and people will turn to friendship and love. The wild men of frontier areas, upon witnessing this love and friendship among the nations, will follow and be as kind to Christians as one Muslim to another. The second approach is that if Malavis of Punjab truly oppose this concept of jihad, they should publish journals and translate them into Pashto language and disseminate in the tribes of frontier regions. Without doubt, this would be very effective. For all this, it is important to make a genuine effort with conviction, with no hypocrisy. Advertiser, Humble Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, Promised Messiah from Qadian, written May 22, 1900. Addendum to Publication Jihad The real nature of the claim of being Jesus the Messiah and Muhammadi Mahdi and a request before His Majesty Nawab Viceroy Sahib. Even as I have explained this in many of my books that my claim of being Jesus the Messiah and Muhammadi Mahdi is not based on the idea that I am in reality Jesus, peace be on him, or Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be on him. Still those who have not examined my books more carefully can erroneously perceive that I am talking about reincarnation, as if I have claimed that the souls of both these holy men have appeared within me. This is not correct. In fact, for the latter days, the earlier prophets had foretold that there will be two types of transgressions. First there will be transgression in the matters of creation, and then there would be transgression in the matters of the Creator. Transgression in the matters of creation would be that under the guise of jihad, human blood will be spilled. By killing an innocent person, one would imagine that such brutality would bring him great divine reward. Many other types of persecution will be practiced in the name of religion. So this is the promised time. In fairness, every God-fearing person has to accept it. Every day the violent tribes of the frontier regions kill English officers who are guardians of their life and property and of their Muslim brethren. This is clear brutality and trampling upon the rights of the creation. Do they not recall the time of Sikhs who were ready to kill just for calling out Asan? What is the fault of the English government that its honorable officers are punished in this manner? This government permitted complete religious freedom as soon as it took over Punjab. This is not the time of persecution when even for whispering the call to prayers one was roughed up. Now you can call out Asan from the top of the minarets. Now you can perform Salat in congregation in your mosques and nothing would stop you. In the time of Sikhs, Muslims were akin to slaves. In the English administration, their respect has been restored. Their life, property, and honor are safe. 
Was it a good deed by the English government or bad when the doors of the Islamic libraries were opened? In the time of Sikhs, graves of Muslim elders were dug up. The Sirhind incident is fresh in memories, but this government guards our graves and our living. We live under the protection of a peaceful and kind government which has never shown any religious prejudice. A Muslim, following his faith, can perform all rituals such as Hajj, Salat, or Zakat. He can make the claim of being from God, reformer of the age, or patriarch, or messiah, or Mahdi. This just government has nothing to do with it unless one abandons the law of the land and indulges in rebellion. Even in the presence of this kind of dealing and fairness, the Muslims reply by killing the innocent officers who are busy serving the country with justice. If you argue that the culprits are from the frontier regions, what have the Malvis of this country to do with it? I would respectfully reply that they are guilty, whether you accept it or not. On the one hand, we observe the fervor of being a warrior in the wild frontier tribes. But on the other hand, we do not sense a true sympathy and sensitivity for the English government and its officers among the Malafis of this country. If they are truly well-wishers of this government, why don't they prepare an edict and circulate it in the frontier regions? This would break the myth of the ignorant that they are warriors and will get paradise upon death. I cannot understand that the Malafis and their followers have such lofty claims of obedience and yet they are unable to demonstrate any good deeds. This is not progress. There are other Malvis of whom we are more critical. May God cleanse their hearts. In short, there is great indiscretion among the Muslims for the rights of the creation. If this is what happens to a benevolent king, what can we expect for others? God has witnessed this brutality in the heavens and has sent a person on the example of Jesus the Messiah and named him the Messiah as reflection of a face in the water or mirror can be metaphorically called that person. The teachings that I am stressing upon, such as love your enemy and have compassion for the creation of God, were stressed upon by another holy person in the past by the name of Jesus the Messiah. The matter with Muslims these days is that instead of loving their enemy, they kill innocent people who have committed no crime but have done only good, with repulsive and unjust religious pretext. For reformation of these people, it was necessary that someone was raised with revelation from God who had the characteristics of the Messiah and brought a message of friendship. Is there not a need for someone in the reflection of Jesus the Messiah in this age? Of course, yes. Presently, there are numerous people among the Muslims who practice killing other nations on the excuse of jihad. Some of them are unable to be loyal to a benevolent government while living in their administration. They are unable to progress in friendship, nor can they get rid of their hypocritical behavior. Therefore, there was a dire need for the example of the Messiah. So I am that person who has been sent in the example of the Messiah. The other type of transgression that relates to the Creator is the claim of Christians today that has surpassed the highest levels of deception. There is no doubt that Jesus is a holy prophet of God. Without doubt, he was beloved of God, holy, light of this world, guidance and honorable before God, and is close to his throne. Millions of men love him and follow his teachings and act upon his guidance. They will be delivered from fire. But it is a serious mistake and apostasy to make him into God. God's beloved are very close to him and have a special relationship. Because of this relationship, if they sometimes call themselves Son of God or claim that God speaks from within them, these are true claims from one standpoint and they have to be explained.
It is a time-honored tradition among the knowledgeable to use such terms for those who negate themselves and become one with God and then emerge in a new light. Sometimes it is said that it is not him but God has appeared within him. But it does not mean that the person has now become Almighty God the Creator. On this delicate point many people are led astray. This is also the reason why thousands of holy men and pious people were worshipped as God. Laymen cannot understand the matters of transcendent. They distort the real and mix metaphor with reality and go astray. Today, Christian scholars are also indulging in similar misunderstanding. They are insisting on the divinity of Jesus. This is transgression in the matters of the Creator. To protect this right of the Creator and to establish the importance of unity in the hearts, a revered prophet came in the land of Arabia. His name was Muhammad and Ahmad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Jurisprudence consisted of two parts. Greater part was La ilaha illallah, meaning unity of God. The other part was compassion for mankind. Treat them as you would treat yourself. From among these two areas, Messiah stressed upon compassion of mankind as this was the need of that age. The other greater part, La Elacha Ilalach, which is the fountainhead of God's might and unity, was upheld by the holy prophet Muhammad. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, as this was the need in those days. Then it was my time in which we are living now. Today both these illnesses have peaked. To disregard the rights of the creation of God and murdering of innocent human beings became part of Muslim faith. Because of this erroneous belief, thousands of innocents were killed by these ferocious people. On the other hand, disregarding the rights of the Creator also rose to new heights. It has become part of the Christian faith that the God which is worthy of worship is Jesus the Messiah. According to their belief, there are three persons in Trinity, but in practice, for the supplications and worship, there is only one, and that is the Messiah. Both aspects of this transgression, meaning rights of the creation and the rights of the Creator of the creation, have peaked to such an extent that it is difficult to tell which aspect is greater. So God has named me Messiah in relation to the rights of the creation and sent me in the paradigm of Jesus the Messiah. Similarly, in relation to the rights of the Creator, He named me Muhammad and Ahmad and sent me in the paradigm of the Holy Prophet. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon Him. In these terms I am Jesus the Messiah and also Muhammadi Mahdi. Messiah is a title which was given to Jesus. It means one who finds God and receives from him. It also means his successor and the one who adopts the path of truth and righteousness. Mahdi is a name given to the holy prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, which means one who, by his very nature, is guided and receiver of righteousness. So God's blessing and mercy made me the recipient of both these names. Both attributes have accumulated in my being. Therefore, according to this explanation, I am both Jesus the Messiah and Muhammadi Mahdi. In Islamic terminology, this is called a burus, or reflection. I have been blessed with two burus. One is burus Jesus and the other burus Muhammad. In short, my being is a mixture of these two prophets. In the capacity of Messiah, it is my duty to stop the Muslims from these vicious attacks and murders. It has been clearly mentioned in the traditions of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that in his second coming the Messiah would put an end to religious wars. This is what is transpiring. 
To this date, a little over 30,000 people are my followers who dwell in different parts of British India. Footnote. Even as reasonably wise and learned would be about 10,000, but altogether, including the unlettered, would be not less than 30,000, possibly more. End footnote. Anyone who takes a pledge of allegiance at my hand and believes in me as the promised Messiah, he has to profess that today jihad is prohibited as Messiah has come. Particularly, he has to be truly loyal to the English government and not merely a hypocrite. This flag of friendship has been erected. Even if thousands of Malfis had wished to establish such an institution to put an end to the vicious jihad, it would not have been possible. I am certain that, God willing, this blessed and peaceful organization that is getting rid of ideas of jihad will increase to hundreds of thousands. Followers of vicious jihad would change their minds. In the capacity of Muhammadi Mahdi, my mission is to establish the unity of God in this world, once again with the help of divine signs. Our master Hazrat Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, also established the divine preeminence, might and glory in the heart of idolaters of Arabia, with the help of heavenly signs. Similarly, I have been helped by the Holy Spirit. The God that appeared to all prophets. He appeared to Moses at Tur and to Jesus at Mount Sir, and shined forth on the holy prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, at Mount Paran. The same holy and mighty God descended upon me. He communicated with me and enlightened me that he is the blessed being for the worship of whom all prophets were sent. I alone am the creator and possessor, and there is none like me. I have no beginning nor end. I was informed that the prevalent Christian beliefs such as Trinity and Atonement are all human transgressions and against the original teachings. God has directly informed me with his own living word. If you face difficulty and people ask how they can know that you are from God, say that heavenly signs are my witness. My prayers are answered and I am informed of what is still to come. Hidden mysteries known only to God are shown to me. The other proof is that if anyone wishes to compete in these areas such as acceptance of prayers, the knowledge of such acceptance before the fact, knowledge of the unseen beyond human capacity, he would fail in this duel whether he is from the East or the West. These are the signs bestowed upon me to help me bring people to God. He is the God of our souls and our beings and to whom we shall all return. It is a fact that a faith without divine authority is not. All prophet have accepted that divine authority is a sign of a true religion. It should be noted that these two names that God has bestowed upon me are not recent. In my book, Barahine Ahmadiyya, which was published about 20 years ago, in a revelation God has used these two names, Jesus the Messiah and Muhammadi Mahdi, for me. So I bring the message of God to both the Christians and the Muslims. Lo, if there was desire in the hearts and fear of the last day, every seeker was provided the opportunity for satisfaction at my hand. A living faith has the might of divine authority in it. It shows the face of God with extraordinary works. So I bear witness that such a faith, which believes in unity of God and is the faith of Islam, where creation has not replaced the Creator. Christianity was also from God. Unfortunately, they are not following their teachings. Today, Muslims are also a disappointment. They have lost the part of divine guidance which is concerned with love and compassion of mankind. 
It is shameful that even as they believe in the unity of God, they are indulging in such violence. I have tried repeatedly to turn them away from these habits. Unfortunately, their wild passions are stimulated due to certain causes. Writings of some ignorant priests have had poisonous effect. For example, the books written by Pastor Imaduddin and Pastor Takur Das, and books of Safdar Ali and Journal of Pastor Riwari, which are brimming with insults and lies about our holy prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Any Muslim who would read these writings, unless he has a large share from patience, will become emotional. These books are very harsh, with little scholarly content. This is hard for ordinary Muslims. One honorable priest in his newspaper that is published from Lucknow writes that if 1857 mutiny can happen again, it would be caused by the books of Pastor Imaduddin. It is worth examining the dangerous writings of Pastor Imaduddin, for which an honorable missionary has this opinion. Recently, I also acknowledged the high emotions among the Muslims and wrote sternly in reply to these books. The purpose was to calm the Muslims by representing them. This did benefit the Muslims, and they calmed down with these rebuttals. The problem is that frequently such writings continuously emerge from the priests, and stricken and emotional Muslims can't bear them. This is a treacherous practice. On the one hand, the priests continuously perpetuate the lie that Muslims have been commanded to jihad for all times, as if they are reminding the Muslims about it. Then they incite the passions with their insensitive writings. In their simple-mindedness, they do not consider the explosive result of these two actions combined. I have already written repeatedly that the Holy Quran does not teach jihad. The truth is that in earlier days some opponents wanted to stop, indeed destroy Islam with force. In self-defense, Islam made use of the sword. It was for them that either they should accept Islam or be killed. This permission was for a limited time and not forever. Islam is not responsible for the self-serving and erroneous acts of the kings and monarchs after the time of the Prophet. One who deceives the ignorant Muslims and repeatedly brings up the issue of jihad to refresh their memories, in fact, wants to promote this poisonous habit. It would have been better if the clerics of the church, after examining the history, had said that there is no jihad in Islam nor the permission of conversion to Islam by force. The book that contains the verse meaning there should be no compulsion in matters of religion. Can we assume that such a book propagates jihad? What criticism can I level against the Malvis when I have complaints against the Christian clerics? They have not adopted the path of truth and that would have been preferable for the governmental plans. For this reason, with an aching heart, I had requested at two previous occasions before His Majesty, Nawab Viceroy Sahib, that for a period of time such debate should be halted where one party criticizes the religion of the other. So far, no attention has been paid to those requests. For the third time, I once again humbly suggest before your kindness that this practice of attacking other faiths should be banned for at least a period of five years. Vicious attacks of one party on the faith of the others should be prohibited as this is leading to chaos in the country. Friendly meetings of different groups have disappeared. Usually one party raises an objection against the other with little knowledge which is not even correct and hurts the feelings. Sometimes there is a riot. An example is criticism of jihad. Such criticism refreshes the memory and results in disorder.
Therefore, if our wise government passes a law prohibiting all parties, including the clerics of the church, to indulge in negative attacks on other religions for a period of five years, they will live with love and civility, and everyone will try to point out the positive aspects of his religion. I believe that this poisonous growth of envy and spite which is flourishing in secret will soon disappear. This step of the government will be appreciated and will have a positive effect on the people of the frontier regions. The result will be peace and friendship. It seems that the God in heavens wills that wars and conflicts should be abandoned and traditions of friendship and love should flourish. If there is any merit in a faith, it should be highlighted and not just keep track of the deficiencies. It is not for any ruler or administrator to accept and implement my suggestion. Only the gifted and smart administrators would understand the merits of it. We are hopeful that His Majesty Nawab Viceroy Bahadur Karzan Sahib, with his open and astute mind, would surely consider this suggestion and would implement it with his kingly determination. If this is not possible, then in his valuable administration he should evaluate all faiths to determine who has the divine authority on his side. Orders should be sent for the scholars of each religion, Muslims, Arya, Sikh, Sanatan, Dharam, Christians, Brahmu, and Jews, that they should bring forth their divine authority, whether it be in the form of a prophecy or something different. Once a religion is judged to have the highest divine power, it should then be declared true and respected. And since I have been given this authority from heavens, I volunteer myself on behalf of my followers that I am ready and willing for such a contest. At the same time, I pray, may Allah always bless our government under the auspices of whom we have the opportunity to make such suggestions to demonstrate the might of God. Wasalam, July 7th, 1900. Humble one, Mirza Ghulam Ahmad of Karyan.